Welcome to the Reology Podcast. My name is Scott Johnson. I'm not a trained theologian, nor do I have degrees in theology or the Bible. I'm just a regular guy who loves and follows God, but wanted to know if there was more to what I was experiencing in the world of church. Now, this podcast, it's actually the collection of a journey to dig much deeper into the realm of faith. Reology itself is the study of the do-over, and it's founded on the philosophy and the principle of stopping and thinking especially when it comes to what I know about God, Jesus, and ultimately what all of this has to do with me. Since the beginning of this podcast, I realized that the mainstream of thought was pretty much centered around a journey, or maybe better yet, a story. Just about two years ago, I started to understand that my searching and researching was coming to a very specific point, something that I felt was leading to an overall story. I felt God lead me to write all of this stuff down, and it actually started fitting into place as far as a book is concerned. So just three months ago, I published my very first book entitled, You Can't Get to Heaven If You Don't Go to Church, or So They Say. For these past three months, God has brought people across my path to talk talk deeper about what they have read in this book, which would be the true understanding of the ecclesia, and the true understanding of church. Of those people that God brought across my path, one of them is my guest today. Dave Ferris is the leader, pastor, and minister of North Star Pulaski, a church in Pulaski, Virginia, which is located about 70 miles south-southwest of Roanoke. He's also a very good friend of mine. We went to the same college in the early 90s, which um, that kind of tells a lot right there. And... (laughs) We also reconnected when I moved back to Char- moved to Charlotte over 16 years ago where Dave was working in ministry at a new church. We've done camp together, we've talked a lot and all of that. So Dave, welcome my friend to the podcast. Glad to have you. Yes, Scott, thanks for thanks for the invite. It's yes. good catching up with you always. Yes, sir. Well, about uh, 2 months ago, I noticed that uh, you had posted something on Facebook about a phrase, a, a term called microchurch, something we'll get into a little deeper here in a bit. I went to your website, I watched a video of you talking about it, and apparently there was this big change that was coming to your church. Um, could you take just like a minute or two to talk about this change and what, what it's going to look like or what it looks like? Yeah, sure. Uh, so a little context. Um, in 2012, uh, through a series of events the Lord had called, uh, my wife and I back to our hometown to start a church. So we, we planted a church here. Um, we, from day one, wanted to, to be very missional, uh, kind of against the grain of the typical Southern Bible Belt uh, church mentality, uh, very intentional in the community. And so uh, we've done that for the past probably seven years or so. And uh, really over the past year-ish, through a lot of different uh, influences and conversations and just uh, spiritual uh, nudgings, I guess, in my own heart and mind, uh, I just started asking the question of like, are, are we being effective at being disciples of Jesus who are making disciples of Jesus? And and so the, the super short story is basically the whole pandemic thing was certainly not the reason, but it was kind of the nudge out of the nest 
to push us in the direction of what we ended up coining uh, the, the micro church shift for us. And, and so basically uh, we've taken a church of about a hundred and we, we actually grew for outdoor worship uh, through the summer in the midst of a pandemic and, and really took that group and uh, we have split them up, not split, split's a negative connotation. We've, we've multiplied it into seven different micro churches that are meeting throughout our county. And so the first Sunday of the month, we gather in one place and celebrate worship. But the other weeks of the month, we, we stream the sermon and the worship into seven different sites where uh, anywhere from 10 to, to 20, actually we've got some at 30 uh, adults plus kids are, are hanging out together, worshiping together. And the cool part about it is they, they get to process the, the worship experience together as a community when it's done. So you, I mean, you basically had your traditional church view, right? This, and now it's, instead of everybody coming to one location, everybody is coming to a localized, I mean, house basically, right? Everybody's basically in a house, right? At this point. <laughs> Yes. Uh, we weren't as Sunday centric as, uh, I wanted to admit, but in mm -hmm. hindsight, uh, we were, sure. uh, you know, Hey, come on Sunday. See you next Sunday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a phrase that's pretty popular in the church. Um, which is a, as you just said, it's a, that is a definitely a, a huge change. Um, you know, so you know, something that's a big landing point that I talk about in the book is being able to, and a, obviously a big a, a foundational truth of reality is the idea of being able to stop, think about what you're doing, you know, how are you doing it and why, um, you know, we being a, an effective tool, which is what you just, you know, said that you, apparently you, you had that moment, you know, where you stopped to evaluate, you know, what you're doing and why. And right before we started this, you know, you and I were kind of talking about this exact same thing of most churches never get to that point. They never get to the point of, you know, stopping ever, you know, to really uh, stop and think about why they're doing what they're doing. They're just kind of on cruise control and this is kind of what church is, right? So we just keep doing what we're doing every week. Well, you almost get in the... I, it's almost like snowball. Like you get ministries, you get ministries going, you get in rhythms and, and rhythms become traditions and traditions become theology at some level. And, mm -hmm. and it's almost like you get so deeply rooted in the direction that you're going that e even, you know, pastors, ministers, even elder boards who do want to stop and think, Hey, are we being, as effective as we should at, at Ephesians 4, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. You know, you can't even ask those questions once you get to a certain point because now you have to basically uproot everything that church has done for, you know, in some cases, decades and decades. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, you and I talked about this earlier about the whole idea of, I mean, it's not even a thought in, in a lot of pastors' minds that what they're doing may not even be what they should be doing. And, um, and you, you had mentioned that, that it's going to be hard for a lot of people to stop and think about being more effective when they don't really 
have any clue, you know, what they should be or mm-hmm. what they're supposed to be, you know, other than just being church, you know, a, g- a generic idea or, t- or term, you know, um, let me, let me do this. Let's go back in history. Uh, one thing, and we've joked about this before. One thing would be very true for both of us. God has definitely put both of us on a very long and winding trail <laughs> over the last several years in order for us to learn a much deeper truth, which is pretty much par for the course for God. I mean, you know, right? Um, so I'd like to think so, at least. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Um Let's take a couple minutes and talk about, you know, where you've been since you and I went to college together and the journey that you've been on to get you to where you are right now. Um, that'd be okay. Sure. Yeah. I'll try to capsulate 15 to 20 years, uh, worth of rebellion and stubbornness. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I ended up, uh, well, going back to our previous conversation, like I went to Bible college because it was an easy way to get the general ed classes out of the way and potentially play sports at the college level in a small school. And uh, after three years, ended up, you know, walking away. My grades had plummeted. Uh, I'll be honest. Let me just go ahead and throw this out. One of the big turning points for me was I ended up getting a job at an Outback Steakhouse and became really good friends with two potheads who were very far from God, knew it, realized it, and yet they were so authentic and transparent. It threw me into what I call a spiritual conundrum. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm in this bubble of a Bible college where, you know, I see how life is in the dorm, and then I see the, the mask that is put on on the campus. Mm-hmm. And yet in Outback, there's these guys who are just, they are who they are, and they embraced it. And so that sent me on a spiral uh, to a bad place. Now, in hindsight, I look back, and that was on me. I blamed the school and those guys, my friends, for years. It was on me in hindsight, but it sent me on a spiral. I dropped out, moved back home. Uh, I kind of had a rebellious period for a couple of years. Uh, God, uh, through his providence and graciousness and patience, used friends from my past to really uh, screw my head back on and rescue me. Uh, I ended up teaching Sunday school at my home church because, well, I had Bible college experience. And so I was tasked with that. But Sign little did. What's that? Sign him up. He's been Sign Bible him college. up. Yes. Get him in there. Yes. Lock him in for yes. a year. That's listen. My dad was the Sunday school superintendent, so I literally was. Uh, you were done, a dude. For a hole, you were done. <laughs> and so I started teaching these Sunday school lessons, and I'm like, man, how do I do this? I don't remember any of this from Bible college. Uh, but the Lord used that to not only uh, bless this youth ministry, but man, I grew. I grew uh, to to really just pursue the Lord uh, through my own study for for the lessons that I was teaching that ended up opening a door to go and move to Charlotte uh, with my old college roommate to help launch a new church work down there in the Lake Norman area Mm -hmm. as a, as a part-time youth guy. And uh, so uh, I, I, we, I graduated with an outdoor rec degree from uh, Bradford university. I was actually headed towards church camp ministry, got through a curveball. I, I went to Charlotte, got married and became a youth minister. 
and uh, didn't know what I was doing. I just love kids and I love the Lord. Uh, did that for about five years, and that's where you and I reconnected. Mm-hmm. And then in the midst of that, uh, for whatever reason, probably another podcast, uh, the Lord moved me to a more established church that had more structure and more stability. As at least that's what I thought. So I went to a 130-some-year-old church, and uh, it was more structure and stability than anybody would ever want. And so I was only there for a couple of years uh, before really believing, all right, the church plant world is where I need to be, but I'm not a pastor. Like, I'm just a youth dude, love kids, love the Lord, but I don't know what I'm doing. I need to go to seminary. So I uh, ended up moving to Cincinnati. There was the only school on, on basically the eastern side of the the country that had a church planting focus as a master's level. So we moved to Cincinnati uh, to pursue a master's in pastoral leadership with a focus on church plant, church growth. And then while there, I ended up uh, coming on staff at a church of 2000 in the city, very, very attractional model church. And um, let me say this discreetly. I'm, I'm taking spiritual disciplines as a class and being wrecked spiritually in the midst of this generally very unhealthy environment Mm -hmm. as a church. And uh, that was my second spiritual conundrum that, that the Lord has taken me through. And so at that point I started exploring the house church movement and got into a lot of Frank Viola and Hugh Halter and Alan Hirsch and a lot of those guys and I kept hearing those are two different paradigms. They can't coexist. I'm like, well, but it does exist in scripture. Like what? So anyway, uh, we ended up moving back to Virginia. I was just, uh, stunned. Uh, Mandy and I, my wife, were not even looking for a church to land in, but I had to get some, uh, statistics, uh, for a class I was finishing up. We landed at a church in Blacksburg. Uh, I sat there like a, a dried out sponge, under a waterfall and uh, first time I sat under expository preaching, just deep theological teaching that, man, I just soaked it up. It was literally that as a deer pants for the water (laughs) (laughs) moment. Uh, And uh, so we ended up not going anywhere else. Um, Let me, let me wrap this story up a little bit. So I ended up coming on staff there and the Lord blessed that church with incredible growth, me not having anything to do with it, but I was on staff in the midst of it. And I kept getting a, a, a tugging in my heart for my home county, which was about 35 minutes away. So uh, even though Jeff, the pastor there, was completely cool with sending us to do our own thing, there were so many elements uh, regarding the structure and, and identity and DNA of that church that we just kind of inherited a lot of the, the, the DNA uh, from them and brought that to Pulaski. And then, yeah, for the past eight or so years, we've been just diving in here. Something you mentioned right there made me think about, you know, the the light bulb moment, right? There's always a light bulb moment of mm. when when questioning, you know, begins, you know, and it's you, you kind of talked about it's always got to be a, a lot of times it's 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 like wrapped in like adversity. Right. You know, there's mm-hmm. things aren't going right. It, it doesn't meet expectations. You know, I think, um, you know, you and I both, we could probably say this about, you know, every college 
you know, graduate, I would guess, and especially a Christian, a Christian college graduate or, or someone who's come out of school ready for ministry or to work in the church, or like you said, Hey, I, I just love God and I like kids and, you know, <laughs> I, I just want to do that. You know, and that's, yeah. that's, that was me too. Right. So <laughs> I, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I didn't care about theology. We just joked about, you know, doing everything we possibly could to stay away from taking Greek at college, <laughs> you know, so this, all I just want to do is like play, have fun with the kids and love them, you know? And, 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 um, and when you get into that world where your expectations meet the realities of what's actually going on in a lot of churches, that's, would, would you say that that was the light bulb moment of where you start to go, you know, you start saying simple things like, what are we doing here? Or is this, is this, this is not what I, what I thought it was. I mean, like you just said yourself, it's like, well, it has to, it has to work. We, it, it, it did in the book of Acts for crying out loud. How, I mean, would that, would that be true for you? Like that, that, those moments, especially after being in Cincinnati where things really kind of started sparking off for you. Yeah. Like I, I've had probably a couple of light bulb moments like that, honestly, in my journey. I, I, I again, I'm stubborn. So it, it, uh, it, it takes a bit, I guess, for me mm. for it to really click. But um, that was definitely a defining light bulb moment. Um, th- and there have been few here. Like, uh, I, I'm grateful for the church environment that I'm in. Uh, I, I do believe that uh, in, in a lot of regards we're healthy. But I'll tell you, when, when COVID hit, and of course every church in the world literally is scrounging to go digital and online, Yep. And we had some sort of a digital presence, but we busted tail. And I, I, I partner with a lot of pastors around here because I have, I have a heart for pastors and I have a heart for the church, not not the church I work at right. necessarily. And, uh, you know, almost everyone that I've talked to, man, we work 60, 70 hours for, for weeks upon weeks getting everything digital so we could, you know, still be a presence with our people. Mm-hmm. And by a few weeks in, everyone is zoomed out, you know, the right. Sunday streams where everybody was watching on the front end, you know, dwindles down. It's like, eh, I'll just watch it some other time. Well, yeah. that other time never comes. And so it really caused me to just pause and think, you know, man, <laughs> mm-hmm. we're missing something here. Mm-hmm. Like something is not. And again, are we, am I? God has called me by his grace, not only to be in his family, but to shepherd part of his flock. Am I being diligent to, to uh, intentionally equip the saints for the work of ministry to care for the people? Like, and so again, that was uh, several, one of several life bulb, light bulbs, moment, light bulb moments that I've had to make me just really think like, man, uh, there's got to be something else uh that we're missing here. Yeah. You know, that, uh, I, of, of all the people, and like I said, since I've written this book and done the podcast, I've had, you know, you know, a, fr- a friend of ours that we went to college with, you know, I, I reached out to him, he wrote a book and he said, you know, Scott, it's really not about, you know, if you think you're going to make money off the book, it's probably not an ex- you know, realistic expectation. He said, but what you're going to get is opportunity. And mm-hmm. man, that has been like absolutely true opportunity. And it, that has like been what you just said has been a real, like, um, 
light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing where that has been a phrase that a lot of people have started, especially during the pandemic, man, you know, like you just said, that that's a phrase a lot of Christians have started to at least started to say, you know, of thank God for that. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, it's, it's just this like thought of like, it's gotta be, we, we gotta, there's gotta be a better way. There's gotta be, you know, or, or something's missing those, those kinds of feelings that maybe what we've been doing for, you know, 1800 years, 1700 years, maybe it's just not quite on par with what we really, you know, should be doing. Um, and so where did you then hear the, for the first time, the term microchurch, where did that come from and what does it mean? Wow. Uh, you know, I'm not real sure where it came from. We, we looked at a couple of different terms to try to communicate it. Like, you know, a lot of my reformed brothers, man, they, they, they kind of cringe at it because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they want to be pretty, pretty tight laced with, you know, the theology that's going out and the oversight and the accountability, which, you know, I, I do believe is, is important. Um, missional community, we kind of use those kind of terms. We ended up landing with microchurch because it, it infers that it's part of something bigger. Mm-hmm. And so these microchurches that we have, they're, they're communities of believers from young to old, mm-hmm. uh, and they gather together and, and hopefully they'll do life together as they continue to develop relationships, mm-hmm. but they are part of the larger whole of North star Pulaski. So they're under the governance of our elders, but then North star Pulaski is under the umbrella of the church, the ecclesia, right? Uh, yeah. God's family. And so, uh, we, we just felt like micro church was, um, a, a more accurate term for the vision and direction that we're going. So who was the first person you talked to? I mean, besides, besides God and besides Mandy, um, when you start having these like thoughts of like, we're doing something wrong here. And what was that? What was that conversation? Like, who was it with? How did you start the ball rolling to even think of, you know, <laughs> what else can we do? Uh, Honestly, I'd have to say, uh, Aaron, uh, Hoback's a dear brother of mine. He's one of my, one of my best friends. We've, we've known each other ever since we were kids and we're accountability partners. He's a pastor over in Richmond. And we talk, actually, I was talking with him before I called you uh, this morning. And, um, so he's probably a guy that I bounced it off of periodically over Mm -hmm. the past, uh, probably a couple of months and years. And, and I say years because probably three years ago, he and I uh, individually, the Lord started stirring on our heart for like, man, you know, discipling, discipleship, disciple making. These are words that right. you and I never heard growing up, you know? Well, I and heard discipleship. So got, I didn't know what the heck it meant, but. You know. <laughs> well, I, I didn't even know. Uh, yeah. Kind of like doxology to me, you know? And, I mean, <laughs> so, right. There's that D word, man. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, we got convicted about like really trying to be intentional about that. We can have, you know, and, and this kind of goes along with a previous conversation you and I had, you know, our churches can have whatever, you know, cool phrases and mission statements and, and, and all these things we want, but culture trumps mission statements. 
Mm-hmm. And and the culture of our church was not as intentional at making disciples who make disciples as we wanted. So really for a couple of years, we've been trying to press into the Lord on what that looks like. So I would say Aaron, uh, and then uh, what was really affirming to me is, you know, on the front end of this, I was wrestling with, okay, we're growing numerically uh, because of our outdoor worship during the summer. God, you're stirring something in me that I feel like could blow us up. Um, and so, of course, then my wife, who's much more spiritually mature than I am, came in and said, Dave, it's not your church to blow up. So if he's put it on your heart, you got to go with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I needed to hear that. But mm-hmm. then I sat down with our elders who I don't surround myself with yes men because I know myself. And uh, so I sat down with these elders, uh, brothers of mine, um, and for 45 minutes just kind of vomited verbally everything God had been putting in my heart. And after a few clarifying questions, all of us walked away uh, with a fog in front of us, Yeah. but unified in the decision that, okay, something's got to change. Let's do it. Yeah. And uh, so that was honestly the huge affirmation point for me of like, oh, okay, Lord, time to strap the seatbelt to see where you're going to take this thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and obviously you had, you know, people in positions, you know, leadership position, obviously, who were you know, meant to be in leadership position, right? Who mm-hmm. obviously, you know, I mean, you and I both grew up in churches where elders were just voted upon and people thought, hey, yeah, I like him. He's a good guy. Make him an elder. <laughs> um, or he'll fight for me and what I want this church to do, those kinds of things, mm-hmm. but not really qualified biblically, you know? So it sounds like to me, you you obviously spent the time up front with your leadership um you know, making sure that they were biblically qualified to be what an elder actually is so that when you did have that 45 minute vomit session with them, it wasn't like shock and all, you know, it was right. Sure. Uh, yeah. Well, and that's one of the things, uh, man, God's just, uh, really been gracious to us. We, our elder process is we've unpacked what you know timothy and titus say about eldership to our membership Mm -hmm. and basically based on those biblical principles now it's hey when you see the fruit of these biblical elder principles being lived out in in men in the church Mm -hmm. and you see it then you pray about it and then you go to the elders with it there's no certain season of the year where we you know have the elder process it's an ongoing open-ended thing that when you're seeing a consistency in Timothy and Titus elder qualifications being lived out, then that, you know, you approach the elders like, Hey, have you thought about this guy? And so that kind of starts this process where, where we interview and we pray over, we interview the wife and, and, um, basically, uh, we bring guys on who are already living out those biblical principles. Yeah. Yeah. A weird concept, huh? <laughs> I don't know where I got that. Maybe, yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah. It's so hard to, to, to manage that concept. I, yeah. It's like those people, God just rose them up and you, and you just happen to take notice. Oh, well, yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, um, it's nice that you, yeah, you definitely had those guys that, you know, maybe God was already stirring in them as well, you know, 
when you came I, and I brought do it out. So. Yeah, it's almost like a, finally someone said something. Thank you, Dave. You know, so um you know, um when you do start thinking along those lines of, you know, I guess, you know, you and I talked about businesses and stuff like that, which they always have a goal in mind. You know, they know what they know who they are, what they're trying to do, and then they start figuring out how to get there, right? How to make that happen, how to be mm-hmm. effective. I think of Chick-fil-A all the time. I'm like, you know, it's crazy that Chick-fil-A continues to put out surveys, right? Um, they continue <laughs> to put surveys. They want people to they want to know what people think about their their food. And I would think to myself, Well, doesn't money speak? <laughs> you know, pretty loud. I mean, good grief. I mean, Chick-fil-A is all over the United States, the world. Um you know, drive through lines are packed, but they still want to know if what they're saying they're going to be about is actually reaching people and people actually understand it and get to know that. And I, I think about the church and not just church, but Christians, no matter what avenue we are taking, if um, the bottom line isn't somewhere down the line, you know, involved in making disciples then it's really, you know, um, we're just the red cross, right? You know, we're doing good things, which is great, but if it doesn't actually lead to making disciples somehow, and then those disciples making disciples somehow, you know, it really isn't, it isn't really a work of God, really. It's a good thing. It's a nice thing, but it's not really a work of God. And when you start, you know, down that path, wouldn't you say that immediately you start to do what you said where it's like, okay, I want to make disciples. The next, isn't the the very next breath that comes out. Are we doing that? Mm. I mean, well, it should be, but I've, I've, I've learned the hard way that common sense is not that common. Yeah. And, and, and to be, you know, uh, to, to be fair, even, you know, I think those questions are happening within mm-hmm. even pa- local pastor friends of mine, mm-hmm. but they are in environments where they are, they're somewhat in, in a way landlocked. They like, they can't yep. either their church hasn't given them the authority to shift a paradigm like this or right. a vision, right? or they're going to be swimming upstream against the current so fast that they're going to be forced out or fired or squashed. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so it's not that it's not necessarily happening. There are just few environments like that's where, man, glory to God, dude, I, I believe the Lord postured us for something as significant as this yeah. and has been doing so for years. Mm-hmm. Like we, uh, our staff and elders read Francis Chan's We Are Church when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a, a, a half a dozen other books that I could throw out there that, that we have read over the course of years that have constantly pushed us toward, you know, being open to what God has for us as a church that that may or may not be and usually is not in line with, you know, the typical perception of what church is in America. Yeah. Yeah. So how many weeks are you into this now? A couple months, two months? Uh, well, we're, we are very much in a honeymoon season. Uh, we 
launched in November. So our first Sunday of November was kind of our large family worship, we call it, Mm -hmm. uh, springboard. And then uh, five or four weeks uh, of micro church. And then this past Sunday, we had our, our second family worship, which was incredibly powerful. And so next week we'll kick back in. So what we've done is ask our folks to give us, give, give the Lord three months uh, to see, give him a chance to work and, and by give him a chance, meaning be there, be intentional, be, you know, put yourself out there, be willing to trust, be willing to invest in relationships with people you may or may not know very well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially in the the processing, the discovery Bible study, part of it after the live stream like that uh, is where I believe uh, depth is going to happen. Relationships are going to happen, especially when this COVID mess is done. They can eat meals together right. and really just hang out together. Yeah. So uh, that to me is just mind blowing. It's like, man, we've had to socially distance. We've had to wear the masks. And yet God has still like blown my expectations uh, out of the water. Uh, you know, the response we've had from people has been across the board emotionally like a lot of fear, a lot of hesitation. We actually interviewed a married couple this past Sunday on the hesitancy going into it. Mm-hmm. And yet in four short weeks, like to the point of being vulnerable and even becoming emotional as they're processing it with their peers uh, about what God is doing. Uh, and so it's just been uh, mind blowing, but I do believe we're in a honeymoon. I think the next two months are really going to, uh, determine just how much of a sifting happens. Right. Uh, but if, if people can give God a chance for, you know, the next couple of months, I really believe they're going to find themselves individually as families and then as communities in, in a much healthier place, spiritually and emotionally. What was the, you know, the teaching process? I mean, so, okay. So you get this idea, God stirs your heart after so many years from light bulb moment to light bulb moment, it finally stirs your heart enough for you to take some sort of action. You talk to your leadership, your leadership, you guys talk about it, pray about it, spend time over it. You've made a a final decision to step out onto the water. What is, I mean, what's the teaching situation look like for everybody else who's not in the inside here? I mean, that's a great question. Uh, I, I, I won't forget, man, I, I, I had several sleepless nights. You know, the elders had been on board. The staff wasn't as quick to jump on board. Uh, and and you said it, like the very first thing I always say, hey, this is, this is not a lighthearted decision. The first thing you need to do, regardless of what kind of emotional, initial emotional reaction you're having, is pray. Mm-hmm. Like you've got to pray about this because this – this is not a Dave thing. This is not even a North Star thing. We're we're really uh, trusting that this is a God thing, and so you've got to pray about it. Um, so staff, uh, after about a week of praying, they were unanimous on it. And so the next step was to cast the vision to our members. And so I never, I, man, I had multiple sleepless nights leading up to that moment because oh, that was kind of the the do or die. Like, all right, man, are we gonna? Are we going to only have one micro church left after this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> after this? Um, and so we just kind of put it out there and we spoke as an elder and staff, kind of a united front to say, hey, this is what the Lord is, is putting on our heart, guys. Yeah. And then I said, you got to pray. 
And so we had a, a brief Q and A about it. Um, and there were some, there were some sharp responses, but, uh, sharp in a, in a caring kind of a way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, we said, Hey, pray about this for, for, you know, several days for a week or two, if you need it. And then I made one of the early videos to, to send it out to folks who may or may not have been there on that, uh, that day. And, we gave them about two to three weeks and then our staff and elders started following up with people individually. Hey, you know, how are you feeling about this? What kind of questions do you have? What kind of fears, uh, what kind of pushback? Like we really want to have honest response uh, from people who have prayed over it, not emotional responses, but uh, have you prayed over it? And if so, then we really want to hear your heart on it. And gosh, man, it was, it was crazy. Like literally, we didn't hear any no's initially as it got closer to November, the November launch. Uh, we started having one or two families, uh, back out for, for certain reasons, but really out of, if we were averaging around 130 and I know numbers are numbers, but if we were averaging around 130 people at the lake for our worship at the lake all summer, um, we've, we've averaged around 105 to 110 in our micro churches. And again, that's only a month in, but so that just kind of paints some sort of a picture of like God's provision in this of like, man, most, most folks are willing to at least prayerfully give this a shot. Again, it blows my mind, man. Um, Blows my mind. Yeah. Um, and I, I would think that that would be, yeah. I mean, it would be a, a, a serious, um, mental roadblock to try to figure out you know how do we get everybody and like you said it is a in it by nature it's going to be a honeymoon scenario no matter what you know because it needs to be tried by fire you know to really see what you got you know i mean you don't really know what you got until it goes through you know maybe a little more difficult situation or whatever um yeah you know and, and time obviously it takes I mean, we're talking about making disciples. You don't make disciples overnight. You know, it, it, these are relationships we're talking about. So it obviously right. has to take some sort of time. Um, so now we know. did also too, just real mm-hmm. quick, we, we mm-hmm. did, we did some sermon series, intentional sermon series. We do typically, typically we do expository preaching. Right. We did, uh, we, we, we walked through James over the course of summer. And then uh, as this thing became real, we, we started getting into the Acts 2 movement and, and really, you know, unpacking the early church from a biblical perspective. And so I, I think in some ways that kind of helped clarify mm-hmm. as well, because we would tie it, we, we would try to tie it into the vision. And uh, we've been in Esther this fall, which, you know, that that whole God preparing you for such a time as this kind of thing. Like we, we definitely played on that some as well. Yeah. So you're able to be very intentional about, you know, instead of just picking like cool, you know, sermon ideas, you're very, very intentional about, Hey, this is what we're going to teach people, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, what you guys are, are doing is obviously just a snapshot of what a church can look like when it transitions into a more disciple making, you know, scenario and not every church. And you said it earlier, you're going to have some you know, your guys' church is relatively young. Um, you know, if you were in a church of 130 years old, this probably would be a, 
you know, a, a much bigger deal. And maybe the change wouldn't be necessarily as, you know, drastic as what yours was. But I think just the idea of being able to, you know, that's why I wanted you and I to talk through this on this episode is to help pastors know that, listen, if you're thinking about maybe we're not doing what we should be doing, you know, a, a, a change into making disciples, being a church that makes disciples, you can still look like a typical church, you know, for the most part, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, and completely drastic change as long as the mentality and the heart is, you know, what has changed. Right. So, you know, that's why I wanted, you know, you and I to be able to talk just to say, listen, it, it's, even if it's just a small conversation that you start with yourself and God that bleeds into your leadership to just, at, to at least get the ball rolling of right. thinking, right. Thinking, let's just think about it. You know, let's stop and think about, you know, what are we doing and is it what we should be doing? And, um, whether it's a drastic change that comes after that or just small stuff, you know, I think it's important to, to be able to look at what you're doing and saying, Hey, you know, like you said, it's, it is possible. You see it in acts. I mean, we're not so far gone. This isn't just because of it's a modern times and times are different. That doesn't really mean anything. Relationships still are the same. People are still human beings. So, um, you know, there's still definitely, you know, this is still a possibility for sure. And, you know, well, just to just rest on it. And I'll say this too. Uh, you were mentioning just this whole, the book and the, the podcast for you has opened up opportunities. And I will say this journey in just a few six, seven months, maybe a little bit more has opened up incredible relationships with other movements. Like sure. I, I thought, man, okay, you know, you got the house church movement, you got all this kind of things, you know, the Francis chain, we are church, like those kind of movements are happening. Mm -hmm. But, uh, man, I've got to know so many cool people that God has stirred this on their hearts even years ago. And they're leading house church, micro church, missional community movements across the country. And, you know, churches that shift in this direction, you know, there are some that are happening, which has been encouraging to me because I thought, man, I don't know of any out there. Right. It's been cool to, to get connected with some of those guys who are doing it. But in the bigger picture of things, God is sifting, I believe, the church in America. Now, I'm not saying micro church, house church is the only way to go by any means. Uh, again, you know, he can use whatever. If he can use a donkey to talk, he can use me. That was kind of my final yielding point to becoming a pastor. But there is a growing movement of these, this decentralized picture of the Sunday church mm -hmm. gathering yeah. to a more seven day a week, intimate relational community that's not only concerned about each other, but they're inclusive in that they're being a light for the gospel in a dark world and always inviting in. And then once they get to that, that critical mass where the intimacy just can't be cultivated because there's too many people, they multiply. But yeah. that's the essence of disciple making and multiplication. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's the byproduct. Right. I mean, yes. What else is there 
to come out of disciple making. That is the byproduct. It's exponential. You, there's, you can't put a number on it. You can't put really at that point, what you're, what you have done is you have allowed your people to actually be the ecclesia where they take responsibility into their own hands and not, you know, just wait for the minister or the pastor to do it for them. And what is the byproduct of that? I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's spreading of God's spirit where he wants it to go. And it's out of your control, man. I mean, you, you don't have any control of it anymore. You know, it just, it just takes off. Um, Low control, high accountability. Uh, I heard that from one of the guys uh, that I've gotten to know over the course of this journey. And then another statement that I heard was you can, you can control or you can grow, but you can't do both, man. And that's a tough thing for a lot of pastors to really wrestle with. I've wrestled, I've wrestled, man, Yeah. because you want to be, you know, yes. Okay. I can turn and let them go, but then where's the accountability and the shepherding piece. And where's Mm -hmm. that line of, not putting someone in a position where they're they're not spiritually mature enough to handle something all those different things sure by and large pastors like the control yep. like the leadership like the hierarchy in church structures to an unhealthy degree but there is a level where there's like a serious like okay at what point do you empower them to go yeah man i know you got god in you through the spirit go do this thing right yeah, and it's. I think uh, the control piece of not knowing, you know, just not knowing, right? And that is mm-hmm. the idea of control. I know, I know what's going on here. Uh, we've we've rehearsed it. We're gonna do it on Sunday morning. They're gonna listen to it. I don't have any control if they actually accept it or not, but I have control of this environment and this room, and I'm on the stage, and people are looking at me. But it is, uh, to me, it's a, it's a, it's a much more fulfilling work to try to, you know, lead outside than it is to have control and be in this facade that it's, everything's good and people are coming. And I would much rather have to deal with, um, the stuff that Paul dealt with, you know, that's the everyday stuff of making disciples, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, for sure to me it's way more fulfilling um but i'm a, a big hurdle for a lot of people to overcome for sure but well we've come to the end unfortunately this episode dave and i are going to continue to talk but um you'll just have to rewind and play again i want to thank you my <laughs> friend so much for your time and willingness to do this um appreciate you very much and if you would like to take a closer look at what Mr. Dave and their church are doing, you can go and check out their website, northstarpulaski.org, and uh, watch the video I did, and maybe uh, you know reach out to Dave or myself if you'd be interested in, you know, uh, just some spiritual help, a prayer at least to to move forward in a direction you feel like God's taking it. I'd like mm-hmm. to encourage you all to be willing to rethink, research, and rediscover the, the mysteries of God, the life of Jesus, and the purpose of the ecclesia. Now, what I'm asking you to do, it's not an easy thing, nor is it popular. Some might say, hey, just go to church, listen to the sermon, and all will be good. Unfortunately, that's not nearly enough. Take hold of this faith in God with both hands. Claim it for yourself. Investigate God. Get to know him on a much deeper level. 
But just remember, it all starts with a willing spirit to stop and think. If you spend any time learning about this Jesus in any of the four books dedicated to his life in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, I think you'll quickly see that this message revolved around this exact very same mindset. Stop and think. Thank you.